Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. I'm blessed. I've had um, an amazing amount of just amazing women in my life. That sounds weird. I've had a great mom. <laughs> I've had, uh, I have a, an amazing, amazing wife who has partnered with me in parenting, but also in ministry. And then uh, throughout the years, I've had numerous, just very strong women who have been a part of my life, mentoring me. I remember, uh, I think about Judy Room, a woman named Judy Room, who was my teacher in school. She's a special person just to be able to have or, you know, dealt with me in school. But then I ended up teaching with her in my first few years of teaching after college. And she mentored me. Just a bunch. There's, there's more. But I'm just very, very blessed. So, uh, and then just to be around you ladies. You, you, you are some of the most phenomenal ladies that I've ever come across. And uh, I'm just so blessed that we have uh, this. Now, today, we're going to start a new series. And it's called The Family. The Family. All right? Keeping the first thing first. Keeping the first thing first. And the whole idea, the big idea for this series as a whole, this is going to run from now until Father's Day. Okay? So the very first institution that God ordains in the world is the family. Because the devil knows God-centric families are foundational for civilized society, He uses every weapon in his arsenal to distract, disrupt, and destroy the family unit. This series, I'm hoping in some very creative ways, is going to affirm and value the value of the family and keep the first thing first. Okay, so that's that's the whole thing. In this series, we're going to be talking about um, godly women today. And then throughout the series, we're going to talk about parenting, godly parenting. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about the church's role in the family. We're going to talk about some of the struggles and and, uh, difficulties that our youth are being confronted with and how we as a family and as a church can help to uh, support them. We got some kids going off to college this year. When's graduation? When's the date? You should know by like right now. Graduation date. Parents are like June thirteenth, baby. The kids are like I don't know. Uh, but we got. I mean, we need to be about that. And then we're gonna talk about what it. Today we're gonna celebrate moms, and on Father's Day we're gonna celebrate dads. The the worst part about these two things is typically moms get celebrated and dads get a kick in the butt on Father's Day. I don't know why that is. Moms get celebrated on Mother's Day and dads are like, come on, you losers, get going. We're not going to do that. We're going to kick mother's butts too. No, no. Um, no, it's going to be. So I encourage you, if you have a, a friend who has having struggles with either their marriage or raising kids or just the family structure, bring them. This is going to be a very uh, instructive but mostly encouraging message about how we as families can build societies that can change 
the course of our culture. So, would you, at the beginning of this series, would you bow your heads and pray with me for a second? God, I'm so grateful that we get to be part of your family. Lord, I'm thankful for the families that exist in our congregation. And Lord, all I want is for them to be strong, healthy, and whole. God, I pray that you would heal what's broken and that you'd bring clarity to the confusion. And Lord, I pray that where we're doing things right, we would get a God-sized pat on the back. Where we're lacking, Lord, I pray that you would lift us up. Thank you for the family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're talking about moms. But not just moms. I want to talk about Eve. Okay, Eve. The title of today's message is Eve. Okay? And this goes far beyond just moms. It talk, I want to talk about women. Woman. Woe man. Okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. Thank the Lord. I will make helper a helper corresponding to him. I love the way the CSB uses that word, corresponding to him. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Nothing in creation could, could be the yin to her, his yang, could be the, uh, the complementary corresponding element to fill the gaps where, that he was lacking. And every man in here knows, I don't care how narcissistic you are, we are lacking. We need something, and there's nothing in the, in the world that can provide the corresponding element that God made. Then the Lord God made a woman and brought her to the man. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Very important verse in our culture today. Get it tattooed or something. Male and female. God made them that way. 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. We love to think that we can recategorize what God has made good. Weird. That somehow in our vast wisdom, we can make things better than God. Sounds kind of like a temptation that came to the first man and woman. In the garden, doesn't it? It's nothing new under the sun. It's the same lie. Genesis 3.20. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. He named her Eve. Eve literally means life. To bring forth life is the meaning of the word Eve. Ladies, women, your superpower is Eve. 
to bring forth life. And I'm not even talking just about giving birth. I'm talking about every form of bringing forth life. We're going to talk about that today. It's essential that we have this. Mary Shelley lived in London from 1797 to 1850 and is recognized to be one of the English, England's greatest English romantic novelists. Mary existed in an environment, listen to this, you'd be surprised by this. She lived in an environment of free love. It wasn't just the 70s. The free love of the romantic poets of the mid-19th century and struggled with the roles of women in society. Interesting. Hmm. She is best known as the author of the novel Frankenstein. Pastor's going to talk about Frankenstein on Mother's Day? My, my, my mother-in-law likes to have the same Mother's Day sermon every year. Just nice. Whenever a pastor tries to throw in something like this, she goes, oh, on Mother's Day? Really? She just wants, you know, she wants Mother's Day to be the same. We're going to talk about Frankenstein today. You're like, pastor, you're so weird. Okay. Um, my book is actually titled Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. In her book, she tells of a man, interestingly enough, who is deeply bereaved at the loss of his beloved mother. His grief leads him to a very dark place, and he becomes obsessed with thwarting death and creating life. This is the effort of a man to usurp the power of God and his natural order. Mary Shelley herself was quoted as saying, supremely frightful would it be the effect of a human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. Andrew Clavin in his book, The Truth and Beauty, says this. To me, the greatness of the story, the horror of the story, and the threat to humanity the story portrays lies in the fact that Frankenstein has usurped the power of God, uh, uh, usurped the power not of God, but of woman. Frankenstein usurps the power not of God, but of woman. He has made a man without a mother. His science has eliminated the principle of femininity from the creation of human life. Another poet of the 19th century, in his work, The Prelude, or The Growth of Poet's Mind, William Wordsworth uh, talks about the internal human experience is galvanized into existence by our early interchanges with our moms. I'm going to read you a poem. I'm going to try my best. Lest the infant babe, nursed in his mother's arms, who sinks to sleep rocked on his mother's breast, with who, with, uh, who with his soul drinks in the feelings of his mother's eye. For him, in one dear presence, there exists a virtue which irradiates and exalts objects through wildest intercourse of sense. No outcast he, bewildered or depressed. Alone 
His infant veins are infused. The gravitation and the filial bond of nature that connects him to the world. Clavin elaborates, the experience of his mother's love allows the new soul to become a self. All nature around him becomes infused and alive with his mother's love so that he feels connected to the world. Now, the original story of Frankenstein is not like the subsequent plays and movies, okay? When you think of Frankenstein, you often think of, well, remember, Dr. Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster, right? We always call it Frankenstein. It's not, the doctor was Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, right? We always think of him as a hulking, mindless, speechless murder monster, But in Shelley's novel, the monster is a brooding, yearning, eloquent, and all-too-human character. It is the anguish of loneliness, rejection, and disassociation that drives him to a murderous rage. This is the tragedy of Frankenstein's monster. He's alive, but he has no sense of self. He exists, but is not connected to this world. He is truly alien and soulless. He has animation, but he has no Eve. No life. He's got no Eve. Moms, ladies, your superpower. You have a superpower, and it's not in creating life. God creates life, and fathers have a little bit to do with it. <laughs> a little, a little bit. It's bringing life forth. Your superpower is bringing life forth. A new life is created in the mother's womb, but it's the woman who brings forth that life into the world then continues to bring life to the child so that it can be well-adjusted and formed into the image of God that it was always meant to be. It also means there is some truth to the statement. Maybe you've heard this before, kids. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Just going to leave that right there. By the act of mothering, of being Eve, life, you will bring forth ever-increasing levels of life from your child for as long as you live. It's the mother who tends the garden of life. Not just sustaining physical existence, but cultivating enlightened, well-adjusted citizens of this planet who will one day bring life into the world and cultivate it, and so forth, and so on. It is not an insignificant task. Being a mother is more than just being a babysitter or a short-order chef. Though it feels like that way sometimes, doesn't it? Come on, kids, you know. Mom, I'm hungry. Get some food. Make yourself a dang quesadilla. 
That was Napoleon Dynamite. For anybody who, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> it is a social, being a mom is a social, physical, emotional, and spiritual formation. Formation that, when lacking, listen to this, formation that, when lacking, results in the misformation of the whole person and leads to wandering, disillusionment, and self-loathing, just like Frankenstein monster. Now, this is not a backward, misogynistic, keep the little lady, barefoot and pregnant kind of talk. I want you to understand that. This is not what we're talking about today. This is a strong, entrepreneurial, skill-based, time management-heavy, love-sustained enterprise that builds the next generations of humans. And trust me, fatherhood is has a big part to play in that. We'll get to that on Father's Day. In a righteous effort to de-objectify women and emphasize that female value is derived from more than just physical or culture, our culture has swung the pendulum far to the left and sadly tried to de-feminize women. Giving women value only when they strip away everything that makes them different from men. Our culture is doing that right now. See, here's the thing. In in an effort to elevate women, we've swung the pendulum now. So now they, can, now, now they can work, they can vote, they can do all the things that they want to do. Guess what? The guys are just like, woohoo! Guys are sitting home. They didn't pick up any of the slack. Now women have to do all that and be mothers too. Our culture has not done a good job of, of, of changing. So now women are just running crazy because we have put a value on a woman now that if they were to decide to stay home, well, what's wrong with you? What? What's wrong with me? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with me. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. I believe, because it's obvious, that there's all kinds of women out there. There's people who like to work. There's women who like to stay home. There's women who are... Uh, wear high heels like my wife, and some women are like, why? And that's okay. That doesn't strip the femininity away from a female. It just means that there's different types of females out there. But our culture likes to try to pigeonhole people into a certain way of thinking. So what, for women the val- uh, to have value and respect in a man's world, they must do everything the man does and everything that a woman does. And they have to do it the way a man does it. They have to talk like a man, dress like a man, even in some extreme situations, look like a man. In essence, they are saying, this culture is saying this, that the weak and undesirable parts of the female are everything that's feminine. That's like saying, the bad parts about this book are the cover, the pages, and the disgusting ink all over it. It is what, that makes up everything about it. It's so confusing because on the flip side, our culture is telling us everything that's wrong about boys is their manliness. Toxic masculinity. Have you ever heard that before? 
and are trying to get them to be more feminine. And lately, the messaging has been dialed to 11 that there's really nothing inherent, special about, or God-given about feminine or masculine. It's just a social construct that doesn't objectively exist. To that, I say, let me look at my notes. No! No! Why do I say no? Because the Bible says no! Genesis 1.27, he created them male and female. And they're both valuable and special for what God made them to be. And they are vitally important. To bring about, like my wife and I, we are so opposite in so many ways. So opposite. And you know, I, bet, I bet many of you have that experience with your spouses. Very opposite. Not always, but a lot of ways. Together, though, we make up one pretty sane human being. More so sane on her side. But she's the right side. I'm the left side, Bray. I mean, we make a good person. That's how God meant it. The Bible defend, uh, definition of, of what good mother is or a wife looks like is different from what our culture says women should be. A woman's superpower is to be Eve. To compliment Adam in ways that he would never be able to comprehend. He looked around and he saw all the things. And he's like, nope, there ain't nothing that, I can, there's nothing that compliments me. Then Eve comes around and is like, whoa, man. She brings forth life. She imparts value. She shows us what beauty is. She instills compassion for this world that God gave us to rule. And that's really important for us, one, uh, one for us guys. We want to be the ruler. Well, she brings compassion to that equation. To civilize the little monsters that we make. This is what makes her so valuable and vital to the collaboration. The Bible depicts, describes true femininity in a very empowered way. Turn to Proverbs 31 for me. It's a classic Mother's Day passage. But I think with the talk we've just given, I think you're going to see something very different about the way God views femininity than what the culture is saying. Wait, let me put it this way. The way the Bible and God view femininity is very different from the culture says that the church views femininity. And I think it's important for us to make that distinction. Okay. So in verse 1 through 9, we have the act of Eve into the little monster of Lemuel by his mother. So let's see what Lemuel's mom says to him. Ready? The words of King Lemuel. The pronouncement that his mother taught him. She's imparting some Eve into this monster. What should I say, my son? What son of my womb? What son of my vows? Don't spread your energy, sp uh, spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire beer. Otherwise, he will drink and forget what is decreed, and pervert justice for all. 
the oppressed. Give beer to the one who's dying and wine to those whose life is bitter. Let them drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his troubles no more. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice uh, justice of all who are uh, dispossessed, who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. So she's like, don't, 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 don't go that way. She's speaking life. She's bringing forth life out of this future king. Saying, if you want to do what God has created you to do, there's certain things that you got to watch out for. That's a mom speaking Eve into her son. Then the rest of the chapter, we see Lemuel's mother mother him about who should he choose as someone who will continue to be Eve for him and his future monsters. Verse 10. Who can find a woman of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with her willing hands. She is like a merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises when it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servants. She evaluates a field and buys it. Interesting. Sounds very entrepreneurial to me. She plants a vineyard with with her earnings. She draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her prophets are good, and her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hands to the spinning staff, and her hands hold the spindle. Her hands reach out to the poor, and she extends her hands to the needy. She's not afraid for her household when it snows, for all of her household are doubly clothed. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates, where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments. She delivers belts to the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. And she can laugh at the time coming. Her mouth speaks wisdom. And loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. A woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. Let her works praise her at the city gates. Who's sitting at the city gates? Her husband. She reflects so positively on him because of her industriousness. Her value is not just in how she looks. It's how she orders her life. There's time management in there. There's entrepreneurship. There's There's charity 
in her wake. She spreads Eve in her wake. She brings forth life in this thing. Young men, that's who you should be looking for. That's who you should be looking for. What does the last part say? But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. That's who you're looking for. Now, I've read that passage. My wife and I have read that passage before. And she goes, sometimes, and I'll let you off the hook here, little ladies, that feels a little overwhelming. That's a high standard. She didn't do this all in a day, folks. <laughs> she's not doing this like, she's doing charity, she's making all today. No, this is a life, this is the kind of a life this person lives. With an eye towards God. Ladies, you're so valuable. Even if you're not a physical mom, you are Eve. You bring life to this world. You bring forth life in ways that we guys could never even comprehend. You're so valuable. Embrace it. Embrace it. Don't let the world pigeonhole you into something that you're not meant to be. It's only going to cause you disillusionment and frustration. Be who God has made you to be and enjoy every aspect of your nature that God has made. I just think it's, it's, it's vitally important for us to understand it. And guys, honor it. Honor it. Kids, honor it. Young ladies, emulate it. Young men, seek for it. And don't let it go. A Proverbs 31 woman is not passive, a doormat, a piece of eye candy for some chauvinist fever dream. Proverbs 31 woman is strong, feminine, nurturing, entrepreneurial, well-spoken, respected, enterprising, hardworking, and charitable. She brings Eve to whatever she touches. And what happens from that? Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. So what's the takeaway from this? It's simple. Don't make little monsters. Don't make little monsters. No, that's not what I'm saying. Be everything that God's created you to be. Stop looking around at what the world thinks you should be and becoming discontented with yourself. Look at what God has already created in you. And try to bring out the best of that. You are valuable. Ladies, you're needed. You're so important. If we, as a culture, the man's world, have marginalized or degraded you in any way, I apologize for that. So important, just how God made you. Without you, we would not be able to find our way. Don't let people tell you you must strip away the feminine to be valuable. The world has its fair share of men. We don't need 
war men. <laughs> we need women. We don't need women to be men. <laughs> we put it that way. The world needs godly men. The world needs the feminine arts. It needs the woman superpower. We need the Eve you bring. So men and kids, if you believe with me that the women in your life are valuable and essential to the health and life of this world, let's not wait for one day a year to let them know. To let them know. Make sure you're telling your wife, your mother, often how much you love them. And let your life be a testimony of what they've spoken into you. Ladies, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to pray over you. All the ladies in the room. You're all Eve. All the ladies in the room. And I want to pray over you. And then we have a flower for you because you're worth it. And we love you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for these amazing women that you created. In your likeness, you created them. And God, I pray right now, Lord, that they would be healed from any damage that's been done by men in their lives or by the culture that has tried to speak lies into them, that they are not enough or they need to be something else to be valuable. God, I pray right now, my Lord, my Lord and Savior, that you would give them the affirmation of a loving Father that says they are essential to building civilization in this world, that they are essential to taming the monsters that they create and bringing us to a place where generation after generation we can survive on this earth. Without them, it would be mayhem. So God, I affirm them today, and I ask you to help them to not only know it from your word and from the mouth of the pastor, but that they would feel it deep down, the value that they bring and the value that they are. And we will rise up, and we will call them blessed. 